I'm Mark Gagan, and you're listening to the Voice of Insurance podcast, produced in association with Advantage Go, enabling an enterprise view of exposure. I have a theory about broking consolidation. It's about invisible brokers. You see, every time we look at the statistics relating to insurance broker roll-ups, you know, those big juggernaut brokers that buy three or four small rivals every quarter. Well, when we look at how many independent brokers are left to be bought, it looks like we're eventually going to run out. We often think that a crunch is going to come when there won't be any more brokers to buy. But that never seems to happen. I think this is because it forgets a key factor. Brokers are people businesses, and when they first start, many are, to all intents and purposes, invisible. It's only when they get to a certain size that they become visible to us. And small broking businesses are starting all the time. It just takes us years to notice. And it takes a lot longer than that for them to have marketing budgets or for journalists to seek them out and interview them. And that's why I think we never seem to run out. For every broker acquired that we do know, there are probably five that we haven't heard of yet. The five invisible ones are the beating heart of the market, growing very fast and keeping everyone else on their toes. Today's guest has long ceased to be invisible, but it's only a recent rebranding exercise that has made the size and scale of his broking and MGA operation come into view. David Behrman is the founder and CEO of London-based Aventum, a group that houses the Rockstone MGA and broker Concilium, and controls over £600 million in gross written premium. The group has been around for 25 years, but has only just put its head above the parapet and started to show itself to the market. I'm really glad to have David on the show. He reminds me of the great broking pioneers and transmits all the energy and entrepreneurial spirit that some say is lacking in the London market. In a time of extreme broker consolidation and a worry that customer choice and competition may in some way be curtailed, it is reassuring to meet someone with his ambition and buzz. A short time spent with David made me feel that the spirit of the market is alive and well. Listen on and hear for yourself. Enjoy the podcast. Hi, I'm Rick J. Lindsay, Chairman and CEO of Claims Direct Access, otherwise known as CDA. We all read about the claims nightmares in the United States of America, social inflation, nuclear verdicts, and the sky is falling. Hardly a day goes by without the news of reserve strengthening at major carriers. However, it's not all bad news. In the United States of America, we have the best legal system in the world, which allows you to fight frivolous claims and litigation and come out on top. In this kind of environment, you must get smarter about how you handle your claims and who your partners are. You have to move fast and be robust. CDA has been handling claims for over 40 years nationwide and has a team of 46 claims professionals, including 12 highly skilled attorneys and litigators. We have handled cases for major Lloyd syndicates since 1994, as well as U.S.-based major carriers, and have closed over 70,000 claims since 1994 nationwide. Not settling frivolous litigations is a must. CDA claim service means going the extra mile, handling claims quickly and vigorously with a proactive approach. Why not get in contact now to see how CDA can do the same amazing work for you and your partners that they do for me every day? Visit www.claimsdirectaccess.com today. David, why don't we start off by you telling us about the Eventum Group? Yeah, sure. So Eventum Group is the amalgamation, combination of a, a number of businesses that we've built 
over the last 25 years. The history of the business started in broking, retail broking in the UK, expanded into wholesale broking before we started up an MGA business in 2013. And that MGA business subsequently became the sort of mainstay of our MGA vertical, as we call it now, which is Rockstone. So over the 25 years, we've built a $600 million business, controlling and writing 200 staff across 13 offices, represented on six continents. So it's quite humbling to know where we've come from, which was a ballroom table and the yellow pages, calling the butcher and the baker through to where we are today. So Ventum's the holding company, the top company. Rockstone's your main underwriting MGA unit and your broking unit is Concilium, is that right? Yes, yes. So Rockstone, over the years, we'd formed a number of different specialty underwriting businesses, MGAs. And when the idea of a Ventum, i.e. a global Holco, the rebrand, we decided to bring everything under the umbrella from an underwriting perspective under the Rockstone brand and changed the name of the broking business, which was originally Direct Insurance London Market, to Concilium Insurance Brokers. We were already known as Concilium Insurance Brokers in, in the international space. So it made sense for us to obviously follow that line. And Aventum was the thought process that came together after a year or so of a strategy around, okay, we want to leverage the position. We've built some fantastic businesses. We've got some great people. We've got some tech and IP. We want to put it in one place, in one home, so people can understand, obviously, that all these businesses are joined up. Aventum actually means to do things with sincerity and conviction. And I was looking up Concilium, and Concilium is a sort of a group of trusted advisors, isn't it? So that seems like a pretty good name for a broking house. Yeah, if you think about what broking is, it's advocacy, isn't it? I think we've moved away from this deliver on the bottom line only. The market isn't driven by price. I think if you, the old someone once said to me many moons ago, you know, you win on price, you lose on price. So broker advocacy is, is obviously is where we add value. Concilium actually means wisdom, judgment and advice in Latin. So this branding process of yours, which is, I think I'll say is very impressive because we're sitting here in your new offices, everything looking absolutely fantastic, event and branded everywhere. I suppose because you weren't all consistently branded before, this moment is you sticking your head above the parapet. So you've been able to sort of sneak up under the radar because, of course, you've been operating for 25 years. Why are you breaking cover now? Yeah, again, we'd built a number of fantastic businesses in the group. We'd built one of the UK's largest warranty providers in Novus. We built Aura Underwriting, which is one of the largest Caribbean cat facilities in the market. Rockstone was our London market reinsurance MGA. We have IFRM, iShore. And what we had was these various specialty niche businesses, different stakeholders. They were tied into the group via, obviously, the group acting as principal. And clearly, we all had, or each, the conversations I was having with each of them were, were very similar. You know, we've got Growing pains, systems, people, you know, identifying where the next steps are. And what was clearly obvious is we've got certain areas or or expertise or specialties in certain parts of the business. We should be cut and pasting that into the other areas of the business. And for example, our digital tech platform, we're looking at rolling out digital and tech-based products in the US. We have a US business, which is Rockstone Construction Risk Underwriters. We've got a tech business over in the UK. One's not talking to t'other because they saw themselves as two distinctly different businesses. So part of the strategy was to bring them in under the one roof and bring all these stakeholders together and start sharing ideas. And when you start sharing ideas and you get more people in the room, things just happen quicker. We had a commonality in the form of, obviously, Direct Insurance Group, which was the principal company. We acted as a sort of centralised hub for all things operations, finance, etc. But also bringing that and streamlining that into one place made sense. And also, obviously, economies of scale, you know, the obvious one. We've got all of these great businesses and we're doing things 
once over here, once over there, and putting them in one place, say operations, systems, finance, people, HR, marketing, made sense. And the leverage aspect of it, you know, we've got great carriers in certain businesses that want more of what we give them. And, you know, we can introduce them into our other areas of the business now, obviously, by virtue of the fact that it's under the one roof. So it made sense. We sat down 12 months ago. We brought some more people to the board to grow the business. And it was clear and apparent that, as I say, we had this eclectic mix of businesses that needed one identity. And hence, Aventum was born. Is it partly also a strategy for... I suppose to someone outside your business, perhaps someone, you know, a potential future employee or someone who might want to deal with you, they might not have known about you now that you've unified everything so everyone can see that all this eclectic group of different, what they might have thought were different businesses are now under one roof and they actually, they've seen that they actually have a commonality of ownership and purpose. Very much so. That, that, that was the point. I mean, as I say, if you take some of our businesses, all of our businesses now combined are substantial, um, but we wasn't leveraging that benefit. You know, by bringing them together we were under the one identity made perfect sense. And people didn't know that Novus was connected to Aura and Aura was connected to iFarm and iShore, et cetera, et cetera. So it certainly opened up the eyes of our partners, both from a capacity and a broking perspective, for a good reason. On the underwriting side, which is Rockstone, we're writing around $500 million of premium. We were on target or targeting around $700 million for our 2022 year of account. Our year of account effectively runs mid-year to mid-year. We say 1st of July through 30th of June next year. We have a number of new initiatives and new people joining the business that have been in the pipeline for a long while. So it's about half a billion dollars of control premium or written premium effectively under our underwriting vertical. We're now turning our focus and attention back to the broking business. That's where it stems from. You know, The business traces its roots back to a UK broker. We'd spent a lot of time and effort in building out what is now Rockstone, and we're turning our guns and focus back towards the broking business, which is Concilium. Concilium is around about $120 million of controlled and written premium. It's small in the grand scheme of things, but we've got a number of initiatives, including a new aviation team that's joined us last week to build that business at the same sort of trajectory as we see the growth of Rockstone now. You've mentioned a couple of your specialisms. It's an extraordinarily eclectic mix of different things. Caribbean property, warranties, construction. So run us through some of those specialisms or is, is there any commonality of theme around these things? Is, is, it, is there something about them? Is it that they're all difficult to do or that they're niche spaces that you found? Is that what's common about them? Is that, kind of, is that a common thread of, of the sort of businesses that interest you in investing in when you get an opportunity, for example? Yeah, look, we don't want to walk into a crowded room ultimately. Our businesses are areas that we've entered into because of there's a niche to it or there's a specialism or it's misunderstood or there's a dearth of capacity or it can be disrupted through digital tech. So there is a connection between each, believe it or not. There's one... If you step from one lily pad to the next, there is a progression of, of how the businesses have been built. But the common theme, of course, is they are niche and specialty. We don't want to be all things to all men. We don't want scale for scale's sake. And we're all about identifying and continuing to carve out niches as the business grows. You've got a lot of operations already around different parts of the world in most of the continents. You've mentioned about growth and having brought you know brought on new board members and other things. Should we be expecting more outposts of Aventum around the world? Yes, we go with the workers. That's the reality. Our underwriting business has been built out through the acquisition of talent and people and with the world connected in the way it is today. 
it doesn't matter if you've got an outpost in Alaska to central London, it's being represented locally if that's where the market is. That will continue to be the strategy for Rockstone. I think our strategy from a broking perspective is slightly different in the sense that obviously we're not here to disrupt our own distribution. You know, we're a London broker, if you think about what Concilium is, and it's there to find obviously capacity solutions for its network of global brokers. We don't want to be pitching up in the back garden of our distribution panel partners. So Rockstone, we've got a number of initiatives right now, which will probably see us opening another two or three offices, certainly in the next six to 12 months, if not more. And the opportunity right now, you know, is endless. People, I think, if you look at the disruption in the London market, what's going on with Aon and Willis, there's a hell of a lot of opportunity out there. Well, we'll talk about that a bit later. From an investor point of view, intermediary businesses, Broking and MGAs are both very much, well, they have been flavour of the month, but we're talking about flavour of the decade, I would say. You've really built your business over 25 years now completely organically. Are you ever tempted to accelerate that growth by taking on some of that private equity, venture capital sort of money, of which is certainly now that you're of this scale, would certainly be available to you? Is that a temptation or is that something that you might plan to do at some point in the future to avail yourself of that capital so you can accelerate this next phase of growth? Yeah, I mean, our business is privately owned and fiercely independent. I think that's been the mantra for 25 years. And it won't be the first or last time, probably over the next few weeks of people approaching us. And as you can imagine, many people have come to us over the years to acquire the business. And we never felt the time was ever right. And in fact, we the strategy has worked well by remaining independent, reinvesting dividends into the business and growing the business has been the best way. And that we've, we've kept control of our destiny that way. We've got no intention of selling the business. The last 25 years, we've had fantastic time in, in building it and, and continue to do so. But at some point, I think it's fair to say that taking a minority or taking an investment into the business, if the timing is right, if the market conditions are prevalent, then it would probably be right to do so. And there are some models or businesses that have done that in the right increments at the right time. So that's not to say that we won't consider taking a partner, but you know, a partner has to be accretive to the business in every sense of the word. It isn't just about profit and loss. This is about someone that can actually add and bring benefit to the business rather than just simply a, a checkbook. We can raise debt ourselves. We're big enough to do that. But I suppose never say never is the message. And would it have to be the opportunity? And often that kind of opportunity tends to come with M&A. Obviously, again, you've been fiercely more acquiring people than acquiring businesses. But perhaps, for example, there was, if there was a series of niche acquisitions that all made a huge amount of sense and were all accretive, would that be the time when you might consider a minority investor type solution might really work for you? Yeah, I think, you know, M&A for us has never really featured in the playbook. And, and I think it's never featured in the playbook because we as a business never had to think about the growth of the business. We started from nothing and have built something with our own hands. And, you know, it really makes you appreciate the value of, of what you do. And, and it isn't simply about spending someone else's money to try and add scale to your business. So the strategy has always been to work with what we've got. You know, we've, we've had to, in the 25 years, bring talent into the business, attract that talent. It's really difficult to bring people into a business when you're an unknown. And, and part of the strategy, of course, is Eventum now is, is a much bigger business now. We've pointed that out to everyone. We've, we're putting a signpost on the business, say, look, we're here and we're, we're open for business, for great people. But equally, at the same sense, we're not an M&A machine, never have been, never want to be. We've never acquired anything. 
But that being said, if it, as I said, if it's accretive to the business, if it makes strategic sense, if there is a, an M&A opportunity that can move the dial for us, but it isn't just moving the dial from a scale sake, then yeah, it's open for consideration. It's the sort of businesses that if you've always admired from a distance and, always thought, and you're suddenly thinking you get to know each other and, and you realise that you could have a powerful combination it would be accretive to both of you that's the kind of thing that you're thinking of yeah absolutely as i say we're not in this business for simply adding scale we're not in this business simply to just to do a financial arbitrage and buy at x and sell at y so we're not a pe machine we are about looking at niche opportunities and if we have to i think now where the business is and its size we're able to do that if that means acquiring a great business with great people rather than trying to compete against it it would make sense not all broking and MGA combo businesses have always been great successful. Plenty have, though. What do you think is the best way of, as a manager looking above those two units, of making them work harmoniously together? There is a number of examples, as we all know, from good, bad and ugly. And if you take the ugly end of the scale of brokers forming MGAs and ultimately ended up using those MGAs just as a placing post for themselves, that is always going to end in tears by virtue of, of the fact that a broker is a broker and an underwriter is an underwriter. But if you're then forced to write group business, then the outcome is the outcome. And from our perspective, we have a very simple message in our underwriting business to our underwriters, which is ULR, ULR, ULR. It's about underwriting performance. You must preserve your capacity. It must be the right business. And the message is, would you do it with your own money? And if you wouldn't, don't write it. On that question, it seems to have been this harder market has inspired some of the major MGAs in the marketplace, certainly in the London market, to source some of their own capacity. And some of the other ones that haven't done it yet are certainly thinking about it. Is that something that's entering into your thinking at the moment? Well, we've been taking some risk onto our balance sheet via a captive for the last six years. So what our competitors are doing today isn't new to us. So we like the hybrid model. And I think that really squarely aligns interest from an NGA. Because if you think about the traditional sense, capacity comes in, you have a profit commission, but you have no real downside if it all goes wrong. You know, it's, it's your capacity partner that's ultimately carrying the can. The hybrid model of taking some of that risk, as our competitors are now just discovering, is common sense to us and hence we've been doing it for a long while we will scale that activity up within the business and that participation and i totally get it yeah absolutely it shows true belief in what you're doing and then presumably that's also helpful for employee alignment so that that can be their bonus pool can be coming out of that captive or that own underwriting yeah so coming back to this ulr mantra our underwriters are only bonused on underwriting outcomes. We don't bonus our underwriters on written premium or volumes. It's based on the underwriting profitability. So that retention or that captive profit will form part of that bonus arrangement. And it absolutely focuses the mind, like the old traditional Lloyd's name. You put your name on the paper, it's your cash, essentially. So MGA businesses have all been too focused in top line rather than underwriting bottom lines. And that's the surest and quickest means to the end. You mentioned this earlier. Obviously, we're in the middle of another big phase of broker consolidation, particularly a significant milestone in broker consolidation right at the moment. For some, that has, in the specialty world, that's inspired them to really ramp up and see it as an opportunity to really get on and invest in reinsurance. Is that something that's at all of interest to you, or are you going to leave that to others? Yeah, I think our broking business, Concilium, is all about attracting talent. And if some of that talent has fallen out of the back door, as it were, from the current mergers and disruption in the market, then so be it. We're seeing, obviously, a lot of activity. And as you say, rightly so, that merging and acquisition of brokers has been going on 
since God was a boy. So nothing will change in that sense. I think that the merry-go-round will continue. Consolidation will happen. New businesses will start up. Brokers and good people will join entrepreneurial businesses. And that's what we offer. I think we offer something very different in the London market than the traditional sense of joining a big broker and being bonused. We're about employee ownership and having the direct alignment to the outcome. You've got your phone on the hook waiting for people to be phoning you're sort of expecting teams to be as they find their new home and they find that they don't get on with their new boss or whatever or they don't agree with the new strategies or whatever that your phone's on the hook ready for them ready for their call very much so look we are open for business and obviously very interested for those sort of conversations which as you can probably imagine are ongoing with many many people right now and look it's really simple we've got a great business and a great culture very little bureaucracy in our business and we let people really express themselves and I think that's actually what people want. You know, they want to come to work and they want to enjoy it. It's about being on the journey, isn't it? It's about looking out the window and enjoying the surroundings. So we're open for business and, and we're in multiple conversations, both in underwriting and broking right now. And that's been the sort of ploy from day one. That's how we've built the business. We've attracted great people and we're, we're continuing to do so. Presumably that's how you keep them as well. You keep them because you tie them in their own, but they're happy. And also but they've got that interest, full interest in the company. And, and also, is it that feeling that the company's not suddenly going to be sold from under them? Yeah, exactly that. Look, I, I think culturally we're in the right place. The business has a fantastic culture throughout. And I think a lot of people talk culture, but they don't actually deliver on it. We haven't got the desire to be a 10,000 head business. You know, I know everyone on a first name basis. I will continue to know everyone on a first name basis, you know, for the foreseeable future, albeit that, as I said, we've got no desire to be thousands of heads. But what we have a desire to be is a home for great people, great teams that, as I say, can come and express themselves. And part of the strategy as well, as we've now obviously amalgamated and brought the business under the roof of Aventum, is the rollout of our bonus and, and share incentive schemes across the place. So when people feel like they've got something and they own something within a business and they're part of something, culturally, you get very different outcomes. So the only drawback of some of, the, of employee-owned businesses is sometimes a lack of liquidity. Sometimes we've certainly seen that in some businesses where I've known staff who own a nice share in a really great business that's grown a huge amount, but they're going, well, how do I pay for the school fees? Because they haven't got the liquidity in the shareholding themselves. And is that something you've thought about if you're going to bring in structures? And sometimes that is where that minority partner can be helpful. So they bring that liquidity to help partially cash out some of those people who have done a good 10 years, grown a business, and need to take some of those rewards, whether they'd like to be able to sample some of those before they, um, you know, before they before they die. <laughs> yeah, of course. And absolutely, the rationale of taking a minority in helps that liquidity event. You can create internal liquidity events within a business as well, in the same sense, obviously via various share option schemes and so on and so forth. But, you know, it's pointless having a promise on a piece of paper if you can't exercise that promise. So the schemes that we've set up to ensure that there are ongoing outputs for those schemes and, and people can pay for the school fees and there, there is genuinely something at the end of the rainbow rather than just a promise on a piece of paper. You've kind of hinted at this already, but there are businesses that often have some kind of an end goal in their minds, you know, we're going to get to this point and then we're going to sell and we're going to be millionaires or whatever. But I get that impression with you that that's not you. You seem to be more in the, in the, it's not your name above the door, but you'd like to sort of be here when you're still in a wheelchair and we're going to wheel you out. Um. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I get a real buzz out of work and, and a kick of seeing things grow and people build around me. And, and we've built a ship in the last 25 years. We've done it behind closed doors. We've crafted it 
you know, we've nailed our flag to it and we're not about to uh, sell it off to someone else. And we're just getting going. You know, we're about to set sail on the high seas and um, and really enjoy the journey, as I say. So I get, as I say, real motivation out of seeing people grow within the business. And that's what gets me up out of bed every morning. David, I wish you well on your journey and fair winds and tides, <laughs> etc. And no sea monsters and, and nasty things. So good luck with all of that. Thanks so much for taking time to talk to the Voice of Insurance and uh, do check in and speak to us again soon. Thanks, Mark. Thanks very much. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, don't forget to subscribe or leave a like or a review or recommendation on whatever podcast platform you used to access this programme. These really help get the word out. Before we go, just a quick reminder that advertising slots are available here and in other places in the Voice of Insurance podcasts. Podcasting is the fastest growing medium and attracts a high quality audience of key decision makers. It's also an intimate medium where you, the listener, are right in the room with me and the interview subjects. Needless to say, that means it's a great way of getting your message out directly to an audience because you know you've got their full attention. It's also very cost effective. So get in touch with Mark at thevoiceofinsurance.com to find out how you could be speaking directly to the industry. The Voice of Insurance is produced in association with Advantage Go, enabling an enterprise view of exposure. Voice of Insurance is produced by me, Mark Gagan. Music was written by Anna Gagan and produced by Carlos Gagan. Check out more podcasts and written comment pieces at www.thevoiceofinsurance.com. Thank you.